Good morning, Forest Park. Great to have you guys today. We're so glad you are here. Hey, we're beginning a brand new series today, really excited, called Why Would I Be a Christian? This is a three-week series, so hopefully uh, not only are you here today, but you will also be joining us over the next two weeks. I want to welcome those who are watching online. What an honor it is to have you, whether you are in person or you are virtual. Hey, before we get into uh, part one of our series, we want to go through why we do what we do at Forest Park. What's our mission why do we spend so much time and energy and money and, and et cetera on trying to reach people? Here it is. Help people follow Jesus one step at a time. That's what we're about. We believe every single person, whether you have been following Jesus for a week or whether you've been following Jesus for a decade or more, has a next step. And we want to come alongside you and help you discover what the next step is and assist you. Come alongside and teach and try our best to also model and lead you into a robust spiritual growth journey. That's what our goal is here at Forest Park. All right, let's jump into part one of our series, Why Would I Be a Christian? When I was 10 years old, baseball was my passion. I loved the game. The uniform, the leather glove, the sound of the bat cracking, the freshly cut grass, I loved it all. I'll never forget the evening of July 3rd, 1980. We were down by two runs. One of my teammates was on first base leading off. Another teammate was on third base looking at home. It was the ninth inning. I was up to bat. The pitch was perfect, as was my swing. And I sent the ball rising over the infield and over the fence. The runner on third scored, so did the runner on first. And then I rounded third base, headed home. As I did, my team poured onto the field, uh, came out of the dugout. The coaches were jumping up and down, high-fiving me, patting me on the back for a well-timed home run. And we won the game. I felt amazing. The coach signed the ball, and I actually still have it right here. 41, 41 years later. I keep it at home in a top uh, of drawer, my dresser. It has written on it, home run, July 3rd, 1980. It says, best player, along with the manager and the coach's names. Now, why would I keep something like that 41 years later? Well, it was a night to remember. I mean, I, I felt proud. Uh, the stars lined up. Everything was right in my world, even the players from the other team congratulated me after the game as we were walking back to our you know, cars and our parents were putting all the stuff in the trunks. They were going, hey, good job, good job. I floated home. I mean, for a fleeting moment, I was a hero. At our next practice, everyone talked about the home run that saved the game and predictions began uh, to be made about when I would hit the next one out of the field, you know. For a few weeks during a hot summer of 1980, I was a force to be reckoned with. I doubt uh, I attracted any scouts from nearby universities, but to those who occupied my small community of friends in central Indiana, I was a hero. I was a champ. I quit baseball two years later, got busy, you know, doing other things, pretty much let the dreams go like so many other elementary and junior high kids. But why do I remember summer 1980 so well? Simple. My peers accepted me. I was special. Finally in my life, I felt like somebody. In my little world, I rose, you know, to the top of the food chain, if you will. And, you know, there's something about being accepted, isn't there? I mean, when you nail the piano recital, and when you get finished and, you know, walk to your car and all the kids come up and go, man, you were the star of the show. feels good. When you remember your lines in the Christmas play and everybody else <laughs> forgets theirs, 
When you lose weight, you're able to fit nicely into that red dress that you've been trying to fit into for quite some time. When you land the deal and you get the raise, we love it. We love it when people are proud of who we are and what we've done, even if it's shallow and momentary. It feels good. And we all have experienced rejection, right? When you study all night for a test and you still get a C, when you don't make the basketball team and a few of your other friends makes the team, and you got to kind of walk out of the locker room after you look at the list and your head's down. When the girl of your dreams walks out and says she never really loved you anyway. When your marriage falls apart and it's a public falling apart and you feel humiliated. When your company downsizes and your job is no longer necessary. Man, rejection hurts. I mean, rejection is vicious. Acceptance is intoxicating. Rejection is bitter. And because this is true, we do whatever necessary to avoid rejection. And in our broken system, the best way to be accepted is to perform. The best way to be accepted is to do whatever our tribe tells us we must do in order to fit in, in order to be one of the boys, in order to be one of the girls. We've got to do this or do that, whatever that is. Be good looking, possess the highest IQ, Grab the scholarship, wear the clothes, buy the house, close the deal, win the MVP, get the girl, be the hottest, drive the best, you know, something. Everybody's got a list. A list of things we have to do to fit in. A list of things we have to, you know, have a certain way to act, a certain way to be, a certain way to believe. If you do not want acceptance from others, we've got to play by the rule, conform to the standards. And, and here's what I know about some of you sitting in this room and some of you watching online. A lot of us have tried that our whole life, and we just can't do it. I mean, sometimes we do it, but a lot of times we don't. And when we feel accepted, I mean, today when we reach those standards, we achieve those things, we, we feel really good. And then when we mess up and screw up, we feel really bad. And some of us are just miserable because we hate the game, but we feel like there's no other way around it. we got to play it. And some of us have craved acceptance so much. I mean, we've allowed our personal dreams to die. And we find ourselves living a life we never really wanted. Why do we do this? Because we fear rejection. I mean, we would do almost anything to avoid rejection. Even hand our life to people who do not have our best interest at heart. And I want you to listen to me very carefully, okay? Very carefully. This is why religion has been popular for thousands of years. So what are you talking about? It helps people feel accepted. Religion is popular because it serves as an identity marker. It helps determine who's inside the group and who's outside the group. And we humans like to know if we're inside the group and we like to know if we're outside the group. And somebody hands us a list of things to do and we do them so we can slip over into the group and we know what to avoid so we don't slip out of the group. It's a way to be accepted by a specific group of people we believe are correct and hold truth. And hundreds of millions of people continue to be attracted to religion for just that reason. Some people were rejected elsewhere and religion gave them a group of people to accept them. And here's what I'm noticing. That's changing a lot. It's changing. 
Millions of people around our world are waking up. In fact, some of you sitting in this room, some watching online, you're waking up. You finally see the hollow religious system for what it is. And it's why a lot of people are walking away. They're sick and tired of trying to meet the expectations of others. They are exhausted from trying to fit in. They're done. They realize they only have one life and they don't want to waste it trying to meet empty standards. It's one reason we have a mass exodus from churches. People are weary from trying to meet the expectations of a God they cannot see and the standards of a church they don't understand. Well, Scott, you, you don't sound like a very good salesman for God. You don't sound like a very good salesman for the church. I mean, you're doing everything you can to knock religion down. So why in the world would anybody want to be a Christian? Well, simply put, Christianity is anti-religion. In fact, if we had a spectrum scale, and on one side of the scale was God or supreme being or gods who control the universe, and on the other side was atheism, those who follow some kind of deity and those who do not believe anything exists beyond the material world. In some ways, in many ways, Christianity would actually slide closer to atheism than the most popular religions of our world. Because Christianity is anti-performance-based religion. Listen to me very carefully. Religion is about working to make yourself acceptable and pleasing to God. It's about doing what you're told. Making whatever sacrifices are necessary to pull yourself up to whatever standard is established by whatever church or whatever group of religious people you find yourself a part. And some of you sitting in this room, some of you virtually, man, you have played the acceptance game your entire life. You go through times where you feel peace. You go through times when you meet the expectations. You feel good about yourself. You feel like you're kind of on the inside of the religious people, the moral crowd. And then you go through periods where you feel rejected because of certain behaviors or certain things that you know you shouldn't do but you do. And then you fail to meet those set expectations and now you feel dejected and you feel rejected. It's a system of human sacrifice. Sacrificing yourself in order to achieve some kind of spiritual or moral level. Giving it your all. Some of you, you know, think that there's some kind of checklist or something that God has. And he's looking at you and he's saying, okay, well, he went to church this amount of time and these amount of Sundays throughout the year. And he gave X amount of dollars and he did this and he did that. And, you know, you just feel under the weight of those expectations. Well, Scott, how is Christianity different than that? A performance-based religion distorts the image of God. And most religions around our world present God as a score-keeping judge. Like I said, you, the, the religions around our world present a God who literally has like this list and kind of watches you and kind of keeps track of how many Sunday mornings you attend, how many prayer meetings you go to, how much money you give on a weekly basis, how many hours of prayer you spend, how often you read the Bible, all the different things that you consider to be religious. How many days of sobriety have you had? How many times have you messed up? How many curse words did you use? You know, kind of balancing everything out. There's a long score 
work hard and you, he's just kind of keeping track of all these things. Can I be honest with you? It's a miserable system. And Christianity steps in to correct the distortion of God that much religion around our world presents. How? Jesus. The gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus is the antidote to the poison of performance-driven religion. The gospel. Let me just take the gospel and kind of concentrate it, if you will, push it down and give it to you in a concentrated form. This is not all of it. This is not the entirety of it, but this is at the heart of what the gospel is. The gospel says God's love is not for sale. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You cannot achieve his acceptance of you. You cannot come to church so many Sundays in a row and God smiles at you. And then if you miss so many Sundays in a row, he frowns at you. And then if you read your Bible X amount of days in a row, then you're on the good side. And if you forget to read your Bible or choose not to read the Bible, you suddenly slip over to the disappointed list. That's not Christianity. Christianity says that God's love and his acceptance and his approval of you is free. I want you to listen to Apostle Paul, the spiritual leader in the New Testament. Listen to this passage. I love this. Ephesians 1, verse 6. This is from the contemporary English Bible, common English Bible, excuse me. He says, and to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the son whom he loves. Now look at the first part of the verse. And to honor his glorious grace. Does it say to honor your glorious hard work? Does it say to honor your successful track record? No. It says very clearly, and to honor his glorious grace. What is the gospel at the heart of the gospel? It is his glorious grace. Now look at the next part. He has given to us how? Freely. In fact, say that word with me out loud. Freely. His glorious grace has been given to us freely. How has his glorious grace been given to us freely? Through the Son. Not through you or through your good works or through you trying really, really hard to fit in and trying really, really hard to impress God or to somehow meet the standards or the expectations of a preacher or a priest or a prophet. No, no, no. It's through his son. And I think out of this entire verse, this next line might be my favorite. Whom he loves. Let me tell you why. For those of you who did not grow up in church or do not consider yourself a Christian, this next part of this message might sound strange. But a few of you who grew up in the kind of culture I grew up in and heard the kind of messages that I heard from the time you were a child and to middle school, high school, and to maybe college or even young adult or maybe even recently in your adult years, this is going to sound quite familiar. I grew up within a spiritual culture emphasizing pleasing God. I mean, we were on a continual quest to figure out what pleased God. 
And for years, I attempted to solve this puzzle, and it was a puzzle for me. I wasn't sure what pleasing God meant. And I would show up to church when I was a child, even as a little kid in what we called children's church. And they would talk about doing the right things and making sure that we didn't, you know, be careful what you say, be careful what you watch, be careful what you read, be careful what you listen to, because God listens to everything you're listening to and he hears everything you say and he even knows your thoughts and you got to be careful. So when I was a little child, I began to imagine that this God was there kind of peeking into my bedroom and peeking into my my television watching and peeking into my conversations and kind of sometimes going, oh my goodness, I can't believe Scotty said that and I can't believe Scotty thought that and I can't believe Scotty would go there and I can't believe Scotty would do this. And he was somewhat keeping track and then we would have a sermon pretty close around the same time to talk about how I was going to stand before God one day and I was going to give an account for every word I said and I was going to give an account for every behavior and I was going to give an account for every thought. And I'm telling you what, by the time I was left or 12 years old, I was pretty weighed down by religion and pretty scared that something was going to happen and I was going to displease God and he was going to pretty much wipe his hands of me. In fact, I was telling Preston just before I walked out here this morning that when I was a middle school student, I would come home and our church emphasized, you know, Jesus' imminent return and he might return in any moment. And if you're not ready, you're going to be left. And I would come home and my mom wasn't there. And I would immediately go into a panic attack thinking that Jesus had returned and left Scotty here and the Antichrist was going to arise and I was going to be left to face The Antichrist all by my lonesome because my grandmother was too holy to be left and my mom was too holy to be left. But sinful Scotty at 10 years old was going to be left here to face the, the Antichrist and 666 was on its way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody grew up in that kind of culture? Did anybody grow up in that kind of environment? If you didn't, thank God. If you did, you're tracking with me pretty well right now. So I, I spent a long time trying to solve this puzzle. I mean, in every single situation, when I was a kid, middle school, high school student, I was asking things like this. Well, is this activity pleasing to God? Is this, is this girl I'm dating pleasing to God? Is this job choice pleasing to God? On and on. And you've got to realize, the reason why these questions was floating was not only that I grew up in that kind of church, and not only was those kind of messages just pushed into me all of the time, but I was a dedicated. I mean, I I was one of the kids that if you grew up in this kind of church and we had altar calls all the time, I I pretty much responded to every one and I got saved, I don't know, 126, 127 different times. By the time I got to high school, I rededicated my life. I went to every revival. I went to every special singing. I went to every camp and gave my life to Jesus again. And if they gave an altar call for salvation, I was there. And then they would give an altar call for rededication and I was there. And then they would give an altar call for ministry and I was there. And then they would give an altar call for secret sin while I was there too and then they were given I mean I just went always to the altar and I was always supposedly getting closer and closer and closer to God and no matter how thin you sliced it I responded because I wanted to be all that God wanted me to be by the time I was in high school and going into college I was so dedicated I guess for a lot of people I was just a a spiritual freak I was the kid that carried Bibles and would pass them out 
In fact, between my freshman and sophomore year, I think it was of college, I had a job working with a construction company in Indiana, and uh, I was the guy that brought a whole box of Bibles and passed them out to all the construction guys. That went over really well. <laughs> they loved me. Then I had to work with them every day, you know, and I was the Christian freak. I, I was the guy who went door to door to share my faith. I was the guy who would call people at random out of the phone book and whoever answered, I'd share my faith. I was the guy that would go to a local university and interrupt people in the library while they were studying and try to pull them into a spiritual conversation. I was the guy that stood across the street from a bar with a megaphone and preached. I was the guy that would go to my, my, my city, my little community, you know, and back then we had this place where everybody would just kind of drive their cars on Friday nights, all the kids, you know, and they would show off their clothes and they would show off their cars and had music and try to pick up the girl and try to pick up the guy. And I remember one night walking in the, to, into the middle of all that and just disrupting people's conversations to try to share my faith because I believed, I believed it so much. And I didn't want anybody to go to hell and I certainly didn't want to go to hell. So I had to do these things because that's what I was supposed to do. I mean, I was in. I was in. Okay? So anybody who says, you know, the importance of evangelism and sharing your faith, I've been there, done that, buddy. Bought the T-shirt. Can't wear it today, but I bought the T-shirt back then. (laughs) I was in. So I lived for years trying to do everything I can to please God. If any activity or behavior felt displeasing to God, I would stop it immediately. I didn't care what it was. I didn't care what it was. Because I, 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 it could be the voice of the Holy Spirit. How, how do I know? Maybe what I'm doing right now is displeasing God and he's speaking to me through my conscience and speaking to me. I developed a very sensitive conscience. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit leading me to what I should do and convicting me of what I shouldn't do. And I'll be honest with you. That kind of thinking and that kind of preaching and that kind of religion spawned mental illness in me. I'm absolutely convinced that poisonous religion is one of the greatest contributors to mental illness around our world. A huge question hung above me all the time. Is this person, is this activity, is this choice, is this behavior pleasing? And most of the time I would throw my hands up in private. I surely didn't do it out public because our church had a certain standard and and I had to be dedicated. And I was one of the kids in the youth group that everybody looked to as kind of a spiritual person, you know. But I threw my hands up in private and said, I don't know. I don't know what pleases God. And then I heard the gospel. Do do you know that it's possible to go to church from the time you're a child to the time you're an adult and never hear the gospel? Do you know it's time, it's possible to actually read scripture every single day and never hear the gospel? Do you know it's possible to evangelize, you know that big word, share your faith with people but not really share the gospel with them, share religion with them and never hear the gospel, never present the gospel? You know, it's possible to have your hands lifted in church every Sunday and give money and pray and never really hear the gospel. That was me. 
something somehow. And I have to believe that it was the fulfillment of what Scripture tells us that when you seek God with all your heart, you find him. And I, I think through all of that pursuing and through all of that even misled ways and through all of that immature, spiritual, weird culture in which I lived and through all the warped view I have of God and through all of my zealous ways of interrupting people on the sidewalk and calling people out of the phone book and all that, through all of that stuff, somehow I think in the middle of all that, my heart was still seeking God. And we're promised that if you seek him with all your heart, you find him. I just had a longer way to go because piled on top of me was so much religion. You see, I had to, some of you might have to push alcohol aside to kind of see God. Some of you might have to push an illicit relationship aside to see God. Some of you might have to push the drugs aside to see God. Some of you might have to push the money aside, the fame, those things to see God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, just based on my experience, as hard as that is, as difficult as that is, you have no idea how much harder it is to push the Bible aside to see God. You have no idea how much harder it is to push church aside to see God. Sometimes the very religious things is what blinds you to the heart of the Father. I don't think I have to explain that too much. You can just look in the New Testament and see the most religious people in the world. They never found him. They put him on a tree. That was me. Then I heard the gospel. And here's the good news. You see, it took me so long to figure this out. And I, I don't mean I figured it out because I'm so intelligent. I figured it out because I busted my nose and fell down and had better people than me help me just like I'm trying my best right now to do. And I began to search through all that and find my way through all that and stumble in the dark. And eventually God's grace broke through. So let me just tell you, put it in a nutshell, okay? Take all of the gospel and kind of reduce it down. Let me tell you what pleases God, okay? Jesus pleases God. Let's, let's go back to that verse just a moment ago. Look, look at this. And to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through the Son, whom he loves. God the Father loves his Son, Jesus. Jesus pleases God. There are few things in the world more pleasing to me than my children and my grandsons. I'm serious. I'd choose them over you any day. So that doesn't sound very holy. Well, pray for me. Pray for me, okay? I'm not there yet. I'm not as holy as you, all right? And there is nothing more pleasing to God the Father than his son. You see, I no longer have to wonder, am I pleasing God? I no longer have to wonder, is God happy with me? I no longer have to have this, this, this question hanging over my head. Am I doing it right? The day that I ran to Jesus, the day that I stumbled to Jesus, the day that I crawled to Jesus, the day that I scooted to Jesus, the day that I reached out and finally touched just the bottom of his garment. And by faith, 
I presented myself as is. I became in him and he became in me and we became one. And when I came to him in all my tiredness and in all my struggling and all my failures and all my disappointments and in all my pain and all my questions and all my doubts and all the hard mess, you know what he gave me? Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. And I will give you more work to do. Come to me, all of you who are struggling hard to find the Father. Come to me, all of you who are struggling hard to live right. Come to me, to all of those who are struggling hard to be sober. Come to me, all of you who are struggling hard and carrying the heavy loads that churches and religion and people have put upon you. And I will give you a stack of CDs for you to listen to that will give you 25 more ways to understand God. And I will give you what your soul craves. And I will give to you what your mind wants. Rest. Rest for your souls. When you come to Jesus, what does he provide? Rest. You see, Jesus refuses to play the acceptance game. The performance game. Let me, let me show you what I mean, okay? If you, if you think, if you think the, the rules are difficult now, I want you to imagine how complicated and harsh they were in the first century Jewish culture. There were so many rules that they tried to follow. They had hundreds of laws they had to keep up with. And certain, certain days of the week they had to fast and pray. And certain times of the day they had to go to the temple. And, and all the things they couldn't do and things they could do. And if they touched this, they became ceremonially unclean. And then they had to wash themselves. All the Jewish culture... That's the world in which Jesus entered. And if, if you were at that time, okay, if you were a sinful, foreign woman with leprosy, you were about as far from God as possible. I just put all of them together. You're sinful, you're foreign, you're outside of the Jewish network, if you will. You're a woman, has nothing to do with women. It was just in that day and age, women were not respected very much, and you had leprosy. You were at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. Yet when Jesus showed up, he immediately became friends with sinners, foreigners, women, and lepers. What does that say? Jesus received everyone who came to him. Tax collectors, known sinners, prostitutes, liars, thieves, adulterers, those with physical and mental disorders. Jesus accepted all, ate with all, befriended all. Christianity is the antidote to the poison of performance, human-based performance religion. Listen to me very carefully, okay? We put such a high priority on questions like these, and I've asked them a hundred times. Have you, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? We say things like, have you received Jesus as your personal Savior? You know, you've heard all that. And I'm not discounting these questions. I think they come from a good place most of the time, but I've learned those questions are not nearly as important. They pale in comparison to more important questions, such as, has Jesus accepted you? Has Jesus received you? And when you ask those questions in light of the gospel, it is a resounding yes. 
Yes, he has accepted you. Yes, he has received you. When you and I come to Jesus, the favor and acceptance of heaven are poured into us. You know what that means? That means you don't have to fake it until you make it. You know how many times in church, right in the hot, red hot period of my life when I thought I was the most spiritual I would stand in a church service and they would talk about the joy of the Lord and I would smile and I would lift my hand and oh the joy of the Lord lying the whole time you know how many times I would say don't you just love God today I'd be like yeah man I don't even know what that means isn't the word of the Lord good oh it's good They didn't even understand what it meant. Because I think we Christians think somehow if you just keep saying it enough, eventually something will click. Then when you get my age, you're just tired of faking it. It means you don't have to fake it. Hopeful no one will find the real you. You know what? God knows you better than anyone, and he accepts you. God knows everything you've done. He knows your darkest secrets and the things you hide in your closets. And despite everything, he loves and accepts you and he would sit down and eat with you. I wouldn't eat with you, but he would eat with you. I'm kidding. But Scott, what about all those ugly, sinful things? They are ugly and they are sinful. Well, is it okay if I keep them? Why would you want anything ugly and destructive in your life? God wants so much more for you than those things. And I promise you, I promise you, as you follow him and as you learn his ways and as he guides you, so many of those ugly and sinful things will fall away. And some of them you will have to confront and you will have to come to the body for help to walk away. And others you will probably battle possibly your entire life. And all the other ones, I guess we'll just have to put up with them until later. But you're okay. You know what that means? You can't disappoint God. He already knows everything there is to know about you. Do you remember the incident when Peter denied Jesus? Those, those of you who heard it and heard it, you know all about it. It's in Luke 22 if you get a chance to read it. Three times he denied knowing Jesus. I want you to imagine your best friend denying she knows you when you need her the most. Imagine your buddy walking away from you when you were at your weakest. That's what Peter did. Yet Jesus did not reject Peter. Instead, he loved him and he prayed for him. Jesus invites the broken, sinful, messed up people of the world to what? Look at this passage. Last passage I'm going to give you today. We're getting ready to go. Revelation 3. Jesus speaking. Look! Exclamation point. Look! Look! I'm standing at the door knocking. If anyone, if any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to be with them and... And I just took the rest of that scripture out because I want you to kind of think that through with me. Look, this this is what I would have thought years ago. Look, Scott, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. 
And if you will hear my voice and you will open the doors, God, I will come in to be with you. And when I come in, I'm going to let you know some things you're doing that's very displeasing to me. If you will just let me in, I'm going to sit down with you across the table and I'm going to map out all the things that you ought to start doing and all the things you ought to stop doing. If you will just let me come in, I'm going to let you know where you're wrong and where you're right and how much you should do and how much you should give. And that's how I saw God for a long time. But listen to what the rest of that verse says. Look, I'm standing at the door knocking. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to be with them. And I will have dinner with them. And they will have dinner with me. That's beautiful. Just sit down and have dinner with him. He wants to talk with you about you. And he wants to talk with you about himself. He already knows everything there is to know about you. In fact, he'll probably tell you some things about yourself you don't even know. So you can stop faking. You can stop your search. You don't have to waste your life running after something God has already given you. That's the message of Christianity. It's not the whole message. It gets better than that. But it's at the heart. So if you want to truly assess your worth, don't look at your trophies and degrees and paychecks or even the baseball. As good as it was. Instead, look to the cross. The cross of Jesus. Because everything you need to know about this life, you can learn from the cross, where Jesus accepts people, although they betrayed him, beat him, killed him. Even when he was in pain, he forgave. Nothing, not even what we did to him on the cross, can cause God to walk away. The cross is the cure for our wounds, our low self-esteem, our fear, our anxiety, our doubt, our abandonment, our rejection, because when you know the truth, God is pleased with you no matter what. It frees you from having to perform. When you've heard God say yes to you, you can say no to the performance-based systems around you. When you realize God is with you, it gives you boldness. Your confidence goes up. Fear is removed for love drives out fear. When the truth of God's acceptance trickles down into your heart and spreads throughout a church like this, acceptance and inclusion go through the roof. The gospel says you are accepted. That's good news for all of us rejects, huh? You can stop faking it. You can stop searching for it. And you can start believing it. Let's pray. Father, here we are. Here we are. In this room, sitting in living rooms, sitting in cars, maybe walking down the street listening. We got a lot of misunderstandings about who you are, distortions about your love. Some of us are tired. We are so weary of trying to keep up. We're so weary of trying to perform. We're so weary of trying to meet certain standards that people set up for us and at a more fundamental level that we believe you've set up for us. God, may we take a look at who Jesus is and see his love and his acceptance. And may that trickle down into us and get into every fiber of our being and push out all the pride and push out all of the 
envy and push out the greed and push out the unforgiveness and may your love wash through us and change us. May we look into your beautiful eyes and see not only our past, but see our present and our future in you and you in us. May we realize that you hold it all together and we are with you. We are secure. May we swim in the love and in the grace of you. And Father, if there is a person in this room, if there is someone watching and they have never just said yes to you, I mean, they've never just started, they've never, they've never even taken a step toward you, may in this moment this be their step. Right where they sit, right where they stand, right where they are, that they would just say, here I am, I'm tired, I'm weary. I want to be forgiven, cleansed, made new, start over, whatever word. I just, I just want to begin. May today be the moment that they begin that journey. We thank you. We love you. We honor you. We worship you. In the beautiful, amazing, holy, pure name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I, I have a few questions or I'd love to get started. Our whole mission is here to come alongside and help you take your next step. We won't leave you alone. We want to come alongside you. And Preston is standing over to my right, over to your left, over by the little prayer banner there. And he's there. He's our student pastor. You saw him on the video a moment ago. And um, he's a pastor of our church. He loves people. And he would love to help you, pray with you, answer questions with you. It doesn't matter. We want to do what we can. All right? Next week, part two on why I would why would anyone want to be a Christian we're going to talk take another look at something else that sets Christianity apart I can't wait to give that to you we'll see you then have a great day